0: Can you believe the resurrection? Let's consider that question. From the word of God, 1 Corinthians 15. This picks up from the Easter creed you heard earlier this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. I invite you now to grab a Bible, open it up, take a look at these verses together. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is God's word. Let us pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to believe it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may remember those old billboards, those black billboards with the white writing that had messages from God usually had uh, some kind of a scripture, and it was more personalized. One of them said this. It said, you remember that love your neighbor thing? I meant that. Well, there's a story about a a young man and his professor who were driving down the, the highway, and they saw this billboard, and it brought up the whole issue of faith. And the young man was driving, and he said to his professor in the passenger seat, he said, I don't think it matters what you believe as long as you're Sincere. They took the exit, the next exit, pulled up to the stop, and he said, uh, he said to his professor, "Hey, can you uh, it's kind of foggy out the window. Can you see if any traffic is coming? I need to turn left." And he said, "It doesn't matter. Just be sincere. You see, the object of your faith matters. What we believe in, in other words, and not, not, not that it's an object that we believe in, but it's a way of saying something really important. The basis of your faith matters this morning let 's consider the question: Can you believe the resurrection and I, i've always wanted to preach on this on easter i 've never done it, never had the opportunity. It just seems like this is the time to do it can you so let 's just look at these questions this is, this is the sermon right here in a nutshell. Can you believe the resurrection? Can you believe it? Why? Why some people don't? Why don't some people believe it? And what if you did? Can you believe it? Why some don't? And what if you did? Here we go. Can you believe it? Believing the resurrection is simply understanding that the universe had an outside cause. Now, how does that connect? Well, here's the deal. Everybody understands that (laughs) the universe is a beautiful place we also understand that there's something wrong with us. There's something broken. So how do we answer that question? How did this universe put itself together? Well, new science is confirming an age-old argument. And the argument just simply goes like this. Anything that begins to exist had an outside cause. The universe began to exist. So therefore, it had an outside cause. Now, we're going to get into that in a minute, but let me just connect that to the whole resurrection question. Look, if if, if there's such beauty and yet such brokenness, if an outside cause put the universe together in the first place, then an outside cause is going to have to fix it. That's what the resurrection comes down to. If an outside cause put this complexity together in the first place, then an outside cause is going to have to fix what we broke. Let's take a look at this This argument. It's an old argument and new science confirms it. In fact, one of the most famous, one of the most notable quoted uh, atheists in the world is a guy named Anthony Flew. And just a few, few years ago, he uh, renounced his position of atheism. He said, I've always followed where the evidence leads. I believe there's a God. You see, New science like quantum physics and the law of entropy. Now, maybe you don't understand what those things are, and, and, and few of us do, and I, I, I only understand so much of it. But what those things do is they answer the how question. They answer the how question. Now, let's just, just follow me for just a minute. Now, just imagine that you can trace back the Big Bang. All right, so the. the um, the far-flung universe, all of its galaxies are, are coming back to this, what they call a singularity. So now the question is, as, as science has begun to, to explore this, this backtracing, is where did that come from? What caused it? Now some people speculate that maybe it's kind of a yo-yo, it goes on and on forever. Well, if, if the law of entropy is true and nobody questions that, that means that energy is just expelled and you can never get it back. So if the universe has always been here and just sort of expanding and contracting, then it would have burned out a long, long time ago. In fact, it doesn't make any sense. You see, the only thing that's logical about this whole equation is that it had a beginning. Nothing comes from nothing, right? Remember the old song, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could, right? The only thing that makes sense then is that the universe had a beginning, you see, this is what it comes down to. Think of a scale. We keep discovering more how about the universe, right? Uh, string theory, quantum mechanics, all of these different, that's all answering a how question. But you put that on one side of the scale, it cannot begin to budge the why question. Why is there anything in the first place? Why is there something rather than nothing? You see, I'm excited about that whole thing because what it does is it's new science confirming an old argument. Anything that came to exist had an outside cause. Now, imagine that you're, you're walking down the street, and this is just to illustrate the point. Imagine you're walking down the street, and, um, and you hear this noise coming out of a concert hall. Now, just, just go with me on this. I know it's kind of strange, but, but you've never heard music before, and you certainly have never heard Handel's Messiah. And so you walk into this concert hall, and you hear this 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 man singing the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised and Then, all of a sudden, a trumpet starts uh, in its cadence, the same cadence it begins to to overlap with them, and they begin to to, to create this sort of a, this dance and this harmonious music begins to to fill the concert hall and you're, and, and, and the hair begins to stand up on the back of your neck. And, and, and all of a sudden you're thinking, what, what is this wet stuff coming out of my eyes? I mean, it's just this incredible beauty. Now, would you take that experience and, and go home and say, you know, the strangest thing happened today. Uh, you say this to your family. Now, I walked into this this building and a guy was, was talking or singing about a, a trumpet. And then all of a sudden, by coincidence, a trumpet started to, to play. Of course you wouldn't say that. But isn't that what what we say when we say that the universe put itself together, I mean, this is the same universe. I mean, what is the pinnacle of creation? The scripture says that it's, it's humankind, that God created us. And what is it? What is it that is one of the most, the most precious thing about human life? Well, obviously, it's relationships. And that's what we broke. We broke a relationship with God. We've broken relationships with each other. And so if the universe was created beautiful and we broke it, then it needs to be recreated and it needs an outside cause. And that's all that Christians are saying with the resurrection. And Christians are saying there was an outside cause. There's going to be an outside solution to the brokenness of the beauty around us. And so... Why do some people not accept this logic, that uh, the universe didn't just make itself, that there was an outside cause? Why do some people then reject the resurrection, the idea that, that if God can put things together in the first place, then, of course, the resurrection may seem fantastic, but obviously we need this outside help. We need God to enter time. We need God to enter relationships. We need him to fix what we broke. Why do some people reject this? Some people think it's it's a head problem. They look at it and they just can't wrap their minds around it. They don't like the mystery of it. They want it under the control of reason. And so there have been some there have been four different arguments, you know, sort of very popular arguments over the years, uh, over the centuries, really, against the resurrection. One is called uh, is 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 sort of called uh, the, the disciples' removal of the body theory. All right or the Jews moving the body, one or the other. Now, see, here's the thing. The Romans were in charge. The Jews couldn't even crucify Jesus. And so, you know, Matthew 27 says there's a Roman guard there. How did the Jews deal with a a 10-man Roman guard? And why would the Romans, there's no motive or basis to believe that the Romans would want this, um, this Jesus who they allowed to be crucified to continue to be used in some way to threaten their power. Uh, and, and so uh, if the Jews did take the body of Jesus, think of it this way, where was the body when they were trying to put down the church? All they would have to do is produce the body of Jesus and it would have quashed this movement. The second theory is the swoon theory. And this one says that, um, that Jesus um, simply didn't fully die. Um, he was only mostly dead. Yes, that's a movie reference. Uh, that, uh, that he was revived. Well, the Journal of the American Medical Association put out an article some years ago, and they, they detailed that what Jesus endured on the cross could not be, have been endured unto life. In other words, I mean, what they're saying is, look, if, if you go through what he went through, if if and and I understand there's some young there are young children here, and it's Easter, so I'm just going to give you just a little just a little picture of this, a brief picture of this. But Jesus was flogged with a cat of nine tails, and and, and that means a leather strap had had bone, and it had. It had glass, it had pottery it had it had lead on it, and the idea was to inflict as much harm as possible forty lashes. This wasn't just contusions; this was stripping Jesus of the tissue on his back, then spikes were put through his wrists, not not his hands you know, it, it, of course the the scriptures say his hands, but they thought of the wrists as the hands, and that's where maybe the confusion came from, but right through his wrist and through his feet. And he died by asphyxiation. See, what happens is, is that the weight of the body, you have to pull yourself up in order to breathe. After 40 hours in a tomb, after that kind of, of treatment, an airless tomb, and this is what the swoon theory says, that somehow he was revived. Well, of course we know that's ridiculous. The third thing that gets in people's head or you know, keeps people sort of focused on reason and pushing off against the mystery of the cross is this conspir- conspiracy theory that somehow the, 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 the disciples um, championed uh, a lie. Now think about this for a minute. These men who were so timid, who were fleeing, who, who denied Jesus suddenly, they were bolstered enough and not only that, they, they spent three years with a man who had the utmost integrity and they're going, to, they're, they're going to create a movement on the basis of a lie? That doesn't make any sense. But more than that, this is one thing that really sticks with me. Um, you know, Josh McDowell um, brings this argument up in his book, More Than a Carpenter. Um, uh, Lee Strobel talks about it in A Case for Christ. There have been people who've died for all kinds of causes across human history, and there have been people who have died for things that are not true. But the disciples were in the position to know whether or not this was true. Who would die for a lie, their own lie? Who would die for a lie that they knew was a lie? And furthermore, how do you explain the explosive growth of the church, pivoting from this timid, fleeing, from the, the Roman guard and from the, 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 the Jewish authorities. And then suddenly, here comes this bolstered, bold movement spreading around, changing world history. Where'd it come from? Well, it came from eyewitnesses. And that brings us to the fourth objection, sort of a head objection. And that is that, uh, that, that this was legend, that over the centuries, you know, just Jesus became a legend well, people are moving away from this because, again, science shows us the manuscripts that we have, like P52, which is one of the earliest manuscripts we have, was, 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 is dated back, you know, the latest that people dated is 125. That's, that's about 90 years after all this happened, not centuries later. Paul's letters were even earlier than that. And see, one of the things that, that we have to recognize is we have thousands of, of manuscripts, 5,800 manuscripts before the printing press, why is that? Well, because Paul's letters that were written really within within um, the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Paul Paul wrote to the church, and every time he wrote to the church, they made fifty copies. You see, we have we have more evidence of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection than we have the next closest uh, credible source that we have. Uh, of any li- living figure in ancient history is Julius Caesar. Um, the, manuscript, the, 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 the manuscript that we have, the oldest one that we have, is 900 years after Julius Caesar. 90, 900. You see, people say, well, we, we can't prove it scientifically. No history is proven scientifically. Science is the, is the study of things that are repeatable. History is the study of things that are not repeatable. And so is it the head? Is it the head that keeps people from believing? Is, the, is it that the truth is hard? No, it's that the truth hurts. The truth hurts. This is the reason why. Now let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. See, all of what we're saying, the, the scripture I read this morning. Everything that we're saying hinges upon the resurrection. Everything that we believe in. Think back to the, the, the young man and his professor in the car. It doesn't matter what you believe. Oh, really? Okay, well, just turn left and just believe. Be sincere about your belief. It matters what you believe. Why don't people believe? The reason is the truth hurts. One of the biggest antagonists of the church and of, of Christianity today is named Richard Dawkins. And richard uh, is a very bright guy, and because of his British accent, I think people think he knows a whole lot and it's very difficult to uh it's very difficult to refute someone who seems to have studied their their craft so well and w- one book he wrote recently, however, I saw completely destroyed in one single tweet. he wrote a book about um uh, the uh, the Gilgamesh tale and comparing it to the 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 narrative accounts of the flood and talking about how the Bible copied it. Well, an Assyriologist who actually knows um, what he's talking about got in there and said, you know what, I think I figured out that Richard Dawkins was citing a particular website. I know exactly the website he's citing and no credible Assyriologist uh, considers that website credible. If he had just consulted Wikipedia, he would have had a more solid basis for whatever argument he's trying to make. What's going on here? The truth hurts. It's painful to admit that we're part of a broken world. It's painful to admit that I can't fix myself. It's painful to admit that there's something wrong with me and I need help. And I need help from the outside. I need help from the one who knows me more than anyone. I need help from the one who put things together in the first place. It's very painful to admit we're wrong. Now think of the last time you had to apologize. Now think of this, this is a biblical truth right here so you can feel what I'm, what I'm talking about here, what the scriptures are saying. Jesus says in, 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 uh, in John chapter 12, sort of commentary on this whole resurrection that he's anticipating. He says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, its potential stays locked in it. Now think of the last time you had to apologize. It was like dying to self, wasn't it? It's like a little death. I mean, think about that. Now, think about the last time someone apologized to you and think of the strength you saw in someone who humbled themselves and admitted the wrong. This is what's happening. This is the pivot that we all have to make. And it is painful. The truth hurts. And I think that's what's keeping people like Richard Dawkins from making the pivot. Let me illustrate this even further. I'm gonna give you an image from from C.S. Lewis's book where he talks about a man who's sort of a ghost-like man. He's trying to get into heaven. He's on the edge of heaven, and and he's brought with him all kinds of baggage he should have left behind, the things that we should have shed, things that uh, the dying to self process should have gotten rid of, the false self, right? You see, the truth hurts, and sometimes we, we hold on to things, parts of ourselves that we need to let go of in order for the potential, that seed to, to bear fruit and to flourish. Let me give you an example. Let me paint this image that C.S. Lewis paints of this man who's confronted by an angel who wants to rid him of this creature that's on his shoulder. And this creature that's on his shoulder is this red lizard, okay? Kind of a classic image, right? It's whispering sort of poison in his ear, right? And um, and this angel is, is is recognizing that this is a part of him that needs to go, right? This is baggage that does not need to be brought into heaven. And it, it, kind of, it, it kind of insinuates lust, all right? So here's this lizard on his shoulder, whispering poison into his ear. And the angel says, do you want me to kill it? I mean, do you want me to get rid of it? you want me to silence it? It doesn't say kill it at first. you want me to silence it? And the man says, yeah, go ahead. And the angel comes close to, to grabbing this thing and ripping it and, and, and strangling it. Very graphic kind of picture, appropriately so. And the man says, you're burning me, stop. And he says, well, I need to kill it. Well, this is what happens. He says, don't you want me to kill it? And the man says, well, that's a consideration. (laughs) I love that. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. Why you're hurting me now. I never said I wouldn't hurt you, said the angel. I said, it wouldn't kill you. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed around the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost man. Be careful. He can do what he says, and then you'll be without me forever. It's not natural. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. The man says, I know it will kill me. It won't, the angel says, but supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then may I? Blast you. Go on. Get it over. God, help me. What happens next is just amazing, and this is such an incredible picture of what the resurrection promise begins to do for us, even, even in this life. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I'd never heard on earth. The burning wind closed its crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it, flung it broken back on the turf. Then the ghost reeled backwards. Then I saw it growing solider the upper arm, the shoulder of a man. Then, brighter and still stronger, legs and hands, an immense man. At the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. It was growing bigger as it struggled, and as it grew, it changed. Its hind parts grew rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair. Suddenly, I stepped back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I'd ever seen. The new man, the new-made man, turned and clapped the new horse's neck, Its nose, its bright body, the horse and master breathed into each other's nostrils. They were off before I knew well what was happening. Then, still like a star, I saw them winding up, scaling what seemed an impossible steep. And the world echoed with great joy. The truth hurts, but the truth will set you free. Jesus uses the image of a seed to say, look, there's some things about you that need to die so that you may have new life. Some old must go that the new may be brought in. You're like a densely populated city. You've built life according to your own architecture. It's time for the master architect to come in to tear some things down and to start something new. See, the truth hurts, but the truth will set you free. Ultimately, what we need is the truth to recreate in us, to break us down. That that what? That we can have new life for relationship. And that means trust and vulnerability. You see, so the last question is simply this. What if you did believe? What if you did believe? Enough to let the truth get personal the way it needs to. Not just in your head, into your heart. What if you did believe? I want to give you this, one of my favorite Pictures of what it looks like to be set free by the truth, to be vulnerable to relationship, to let God in that you may be known and to know him in return. I wanna give you a, a picture. Some of my favorite uh, images and, and stories come from World War II because it was a time of stripping down falsehood and, and veneer. And this is a man, it's a story of a man in World War II who was the head of the Polish underground They were getting information to the allies about the movement of the Nazis and and all of their plans. This man was captured, but before they captured him, they studied his life. They found out all the ponytails he pulled when he was a child, all the tests he cheated on, all of the, the tax returns that were not quite right. And all of the relatives and neighbors, they squeezed for information. And they took him and they put him into a dark room and they began to pummel him with accusations to break him down, to, to, to break down his moral, to break the man so that he would give them information about this Polish underground movement. And this man who was a believer had already died to all those things. The truth had already set him free. And he looked into the face of his accusers and he said, you don't know the half of it. Now that's a picture of freedom. Do you have that kind of freedom? You know, the alternative is just simply to live in defensiveness, to constantly be defending yourself, not to be vulnerable. You see, To know the truth is to be set free. It's to know that it's worse than you could dare imagine, but that God's grace and his power through resurrection is greater and more powerful than you dare dream. You see, we don't need an assistant. We don't need help. We need new life. We don't need to get better. We need to start over. See, the one behind all this beauty that put these spinning planets together that created the cosmos. God says of the cosmos, for God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Charles Wesley said this in this famous old poem and hymn of the church. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin, and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. This morning, we started with a question. Can you believe the resurrection? Let me leave you with this question. Can you believe the resurrection? Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you're equal to our need and that the power of the resurrected Christ is available to us, those who humble themselves. Lord, I pray for the humility of new life for each of us, whether it's One who simply needs to shed some baggage that they're carrying or somebody who needs to make a commitment to you, the living Christ, in this moment. God, would you give us the wisdom and the counsel of your spirit to come alive in Christ, to die to the old, that the new may come, in Jesus' name.